0: The teams you care about.
1: The Patriots are now closer to the bottom of the AFC than the top. That's a fact.
0: The stories that matter to you.
1: Trevor Story, man, he makes the Red Sox much, much better in 2022.
0: This is your home for New England sports.
1: I'm just wondering what happens next for UVM, because I think there could be a lot of turnover on that roster.
0: This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM. And WDEVradio.com.
1: What's up, everybody? Brady is show on a Wednesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Once again, full ninety minutes today. Show going up until seven o'clock. Then the usual jazz with George Thomas, and then we've got uh, Eye on the World with John Bachelor. Ton to get to today, as always. Tom Karen, Red Sox and Bruins insider, at Nesson. he's going to join us. He's live from Fort Myers. He actually just called the Red Sox spring training game that lost to the Minnesota Twins, the first loss the Sox have suffered this spring. Got to watch a little bit of it as well. Good to see Rafael Devers homer today. No, it doesn't mean anything, but good to see Devers homer. Good to see the Sox not take him to arbitration. So maybe the good vibes are uh, already starting here for the Sox. So uh, a good spring overall for the Sox so far. Not a great outing today for Ryan Brazier in relief. He gave up a A three-run homer to Trevor Larnick, so that's something that uh, certainly you don't want to see. Braziers played a key role in the bullpen before. You'd like to see him continue to be good this year, although you know his his role is probably not as big as it was in 2018. You know, Robles is a high-leverage reliever for them, and Deekman and Barnes possibly. So we'll see how it all shakes out. We'll talk about the Red Sox. We got a bunch to get to. TC is going to join us here in a bit. We're going to talk about UVM hoops, kind of react to some of our interview yesterday with Alex Abrami. We are going to talk to Freddie Coleman live today. Later than usual at about 640, Freddie will be with us. And how about Tyreek Hill getting traded to the Miami Dolphins? So life just continuing to get worse for the Patriots this offseason. They did sign Malcolm Butler, though, to a two-year $9 million deal. Also brought back Trent Brown. We'll probably talk a little bit about Butler tomorrow, and uh, we'll talk about Brown today. So a ton to get to, and uh, you can always get in on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line. That's 802-585-3026. No video today, just as a note, a little bit of a maintenance day for the video. So, uh, all right, let's get right to it.
2: Five, four,
1: three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts in the Brady Farkas show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber. Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. The newest Red Sox star, Trevor Story, got introduced today at Red Sox spring training. It was about... I don't know, maybe 9.30 this morning. The press conference happened there in Fort Myers before that Red Sox loss. Let's just kind of hear what everybody had to say today. Let's kind of go around the room here. How about High and Bloom, Red Sox chief baseball officer? What can Story do to help the Bo Sox?
0: Uh, We are thrilled to welcome Trevor and his wife, Mally, uh, to the Red Sox family. Trevor's work on the field speaks for itself. He's been one of the most dynamic players in the game. Uh, He impacts the game in every facet, at the plate, uh, in the field, on the bases. His athleticism plays on on both sides of the ball. And he's been both a run producer and a premium defender in the middle of the field. He has the ability to help us in every aspect of the game.
1: I mean, I understand that when you've given somebody six years and $140 million and they're introduced at their press conference, I know you're going to wax poetic about them. I know you – I believe that you mean what you're saying, but I know – that you're going to tell us about the best version of this player. And even still knowing that. Like knowing that that's exactly what Bloom is going to do. I'm excited to hear him say that. I am excited by the Trevor Story signing. I, I, I chronicled it on Monday. But I think it helps the Red Sox in just about every asset. Or in every aspect. Another power bat another another middle-of-the-order bat, or a guy to hit in the two-hole that sets up the middle of the order, a guy who runs, I don't know if they're going to run him. I'll probably ask Tom Karen that question, but a guy who runs and runs well, 20, look, 20 home run potential, 20 stolen base potential, willing to move positions, certainly shows a degree of selflessness, good defender, and he's been very, very durable in his career. I, I mean, let, let's pull up Trevor Story's season by season here guys because Trevor Story has been incredibly durable in his career. I think he's only had one stretch on the IL for any kind of significant period of time like 2017 First full year, 145 games. 2018, 157 games. 2019, 145 games. 2020, the COVID year, he played in 59 of the 60 games. And 2021 last year, 142. He has never missed in a full season more than 20 games. So 20 home run potential, 20 stolen base potential, good glove, a degree of selflessness, and a general, constant availability? What is there to not like about this? And I'm telling you, High and Bloom, by waiting, I don't know if it was by design or if he lucked into it, but by waiting, High and Bloom lucked out on the contract. Because I think Trevor Story is better than Javi Baez. Javi Baez got more. Corey Seeger is making double, more than double, well more than double, what Story is making. And he's not twice, two and a half times the player that Story is. Story is better and younger than Chris Bryant. I believe younger, but definitely in my mind, better than Chris Bryant. And he's making $40 million less. So, the price point was right. The years are right. Story is only 29 years old. Like, this this is a home run signing for me, as far as I'm concerned. And even though I know that High and Bloom is going to tell us about the best version of Trevor Story, I was still excited to hear it. Now, let's talk about what story had to say today uh he talked about being excited to play at Fenway I'm excited man I know it's such a a historic you know the most historic place I think in baseball and it's really an honor to put on this jersey and to play in that ballpark every night so um I I feel really good about how my game will adjust there um just just kind of need the reps and the time all right so that's good he also why did he end up coming to Boston? And, you know, at the end of the day, this kind of comes down to winning. And um, we felt like
0: this was a, a great fit for me and my family. Um, and uh, just just
1: so looking forward to this opportunity to get on the field and um, chase this championship. You know, I am curious about that. Story says it all comes down to winning. I, I'm not pushing back on that. I'm just curious. You know, I kind of think that, the Red Sox lucked into Story to a degree. I wonder if Story lucked into the Red Sox to a degree also. And what I mean is this. Look at the other look at the teams that needed a shortstop or that made moves. A lot of them had already made those moves. So Story is kind of left like, okay, who's left? Who's left that wants me? So I don't know that for Story it came down to Oh, hey, it was all about winning. I was gonna go where I could win. I kind of feel like Story went where was left. And he's fortunate that's what's left was a team that has won. Look, the Yankees, they 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 addressed their needs on the left side of the infield. Story was no longer a need there. So it's not them. The Blue Jays addressed their needs, right? Like they, they, their dance card is full. They went and got Matt Chapman. Tampa's got Wander Franco. They can win. They don't need him. Cleveland's got Jose Ramirez. The Royals have a young infield prospect with the name of Bobby Witt Jr who's phenomenal. The Tigers went and got Baez. The White Sox have t- Tim Anderson. The Twins went and got Correa. Seattle went and made a move to get um you know to go and get uh, Suarez from the Reds to fill their infield. The Rangers had Seager and Semien. The A's aren't trying to win. The Orioles aren't trying to win. So really who's left at that point? All that's left in the American League <laughs> is the Red Sox, is the Astros, and was the Angels. The Angels we never heard connected to story. So really, I guess at that point, what's it come down to? Comes down to the Red Sox and and the Astros. Now, he could have won in both places. Totally agree with that. But did it come down to winning or did it come down to where was available? I don't know that any of the loser teams around the league, and even those in the National League, we never really heard connected to story. I, I don't know that they were ever in play. So, again, I'm sure he's happy he's going to win with the Red Sox, raise a chance to win, especially over the life of the six years. But when he says, oh, it all came down, I came here because I could win, I kind of feel like he came here because that's what was left. Everybody else had signed, and you're looking around going, well, who am I going to dance with now? And the Red Sox show up, and they're like, well, here, you can dance with us. And it it works out for – I kind of feel like they both backed in to each other. I really wonder if they both – Backed into each other. I Look, I don't care at this point what got Story here. I just care that he's here. I do think he's motivated. I don't think, you know, he's a sourpuss because this is all that's left. I don't think he's a sourpuss because the money's not as good as other guys got. I think that Trevor Story is genuinely happy that he backed into the Red Sox. But I do think he backed in to some degree. Maybe we'll talk with Tom Cairn about that as well. I also like what people are saying about Trevor's story, here's Derek Holland, longtime major league pitcher, played with the mainly with the Rangers, most notably Giants, White Sox, some others, but he's bounced around. He's in the Red Sox camp on a minor league deal. He talked about story.
3: He he can hit for power, but he can hit and get on base. He can move runners over.
4: He does the the things that you want to see a productive guy do. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll get you the long ball, but he'll also get you those base hits that are needed. Work the other way.
1: Just sounds like a winning player. Trevor Story just sounds like a winning player. And I don't pretend, I'm not watching a lot of Colorado Rockies games. Like, I, I obviously know who Trevor Story is, and I've done my research, and I've watched Story play a bunch, and he's an all-star, but I'm not watching him play for 162. But fellow big leaguers are saying he makes winning plays. That's what I like to hear. 25 home run potential, 85-90, RBI potential, depending on where he hits in the order. He'll play well at Fenway Park. He can run well. He could hit behind a runner, play good defense, good teammate. I mean, that right there is a perfect testament. I love to hear that. We're going to do more on Story certainly here as we move forward and as we actually see him in games and probably more from his press conference tomorrow and all that. And, um, you know, I'm sure TC will react to what he has. I got so many things to say about the Red Sox. But, uh, I mean, look, let's look at Story a little bit more. 29 years old. He was... Finished fourth in Rookie of the Year voting his rookie year. He's been an All-Star twice. He's finished in the top 15 of MVP voting three times. so Two times Silver Slugger. I mean, he led the league in triples during the COVID season. He's had 20, 24 home runs or more in every full season of his career. This This is a guy who I can go to battle with. Bogarts and Story up the middle. Devers, who I still saw can hit today. He homered to left center. That was a shot. Dahlbeck. I'm just I'm excited I'm much more excited about the Red Sox today than I was on Sunday. Or well, I guess Saturday night. The Red Sox have questions on this roster. But Story helps alleviate some of my concerns. They got questions at the fifth starter, they got questions about sale, questions in the bullpen. I still don't love Jackie Bradley playing every day. But Trevor Story being there certainly gives me more confidence about where this team is going. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Uh, Ralph says money is why he went to uh, the Red Sox. Well, no, I don't think he went there because of money. I think he went there because that's who was left on the dance card. So um, there you go. I think, that's, I think that's why this happened. Now, maybe, again, Maybe the Red Sox money was better than Houston's money if it came down to that, but you know, I, I and that's probably the case. So maybe money did factor in a bit, but it, I mean, we're only talking about maybe two teams competing at that point. Tom Karen, he was there today at Trevor Story's introductory press conference. What did he see of the newest Red Sox infielder? We'll talk to T.C. That's next on WDEV. Looking for the latest information on the Red Sox?
3: Not only is David Ortiz a Hall of Famer, but he is one of the best of the best. How about the Bruins? Are they a Stanley Cup champion? Probably not as presently constructed, but they're a playoff
0: team. And you've come to the right place. We talk now with Nessan insider Tom Caron.
3: Baseball isn't boring because there's still nothing like the communal gathering of fans at a baseball game.
0: On the Brady Farkas Show, on WDEV
1: AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show here on this Wednesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio.com. Joining me now, as he does every single Wednesday at this time, is our guy, Red Sox and Bruins insider at Nesson, Tom Karen TC, how are you? I'm well, Brady. How are you? Excellent. I know your time is a little more limited today, so let's get right to it. Press conference was this morning. High and Bloom, Sam Kennedy, Alex Cora, Trevor Story. What were your early impressions of Story, the Red Sox version?
3: Yeah, you know, he's an impressive guy. And and down here in Florida, talking to High and Bloom and Alex Cora about him, that's that's one of the things that really uh, kind of blew them away in the process. We know what he does on the field. Uh, a guy who's shown a lot of power, albeit, uh, you know, maybe adjusted because of the altitude in Colorado. Tremendous defense, uh, in the field and, and got speed. So they knew all that. Uh, but you hear more and more people talking to him and tell you about what a, what an impressive guy he is, uh, off the field as well. And, and, you know, for the first big money, long term contract of the High and Bloom era. Uh, I think he checked off a lot of boxes in addition to what he can bring to the team on the field.
1: Do you think that story was always the plan or did a bunch of dominoes fall in the right way that he kind of fell into their lap?
3: <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. I, it, listen, Bloom is not the type of guy who goes into a, an offseason with, with one plan. I've talked to him about this. He's always got multiple plans going. If this happens, we'll do that. If that happens, we'll have to do this. Uh, if this guy goes here, maybe we'll counter there. So I, you know, I don't know if they went in targeting him in the off season. Could they have maybe try for Freeman? Word is they were in on that, uh, but didn't want to go as long. Uh, were they, were they maybe kicking the tires on Correa? I know that Alex Core a big fan of, uh, of Correa. So, uh, probably were in on all of it. Uh, but then ultimately when, when, when Story says, I'll play second base because I think this is a place that I can win. Uh, and Dana Bogart says, I, I love this guy coming in, even though maybe he's a threat to me in the future. I think once everybody was on the same page, it became an easy deal for them.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you about Bogarts. We're all focused on what this deal means for his future. What does it mean, if anything, that Bogarts was in the recruiting of Story?
3: I think it meant a lot. Uh, and, and Story talked a little bit about that today. Just You know, the fact that, that Alex Cora was reaching out to him. I mean, you expect that, right? You expect a team to, to kind of agree. T.K. Hernandez, who they had a little bit of a relationship. Even Will Middlebrook, who's now one of my analysts, uh, they used to work out together. And, you know, Will sent me uh, a picture of some of the text he was sending story last week. You know, pretty funny, talking about, you know, uh, Houston's underwater and the humidity is going to kill you and the, the tax rate in California. You don't want to go there. New York smells like garbage. You know, it's pretty funny, everybody. but But what you brought up, I think, was the biggest, Factor the fact that Xander Bogart, a guy who plays his position, uh, said, listen, I, I want you here. You make us better. Uh, I want to win. I, I think we know. We've got two championships. Since day one, Xander Bogart is, is, is the ultimate winner. He's a guy who who really doesn't have a huge ego, considering what a superstar he is. Uh, and, and so I think that meant a lot to story and really helped close the deal.
1: I have two questions about the 2022 Red Sox as a result of this signing. One, how does Alex Cora handle the lineup that's six everyday players that are right-handed how do they handle that
3: yeah that's a really good question you're going to have to be careful with the lefties in there right that's uh that's where Devers Verdugo sort of help things out a little bit um you know Jack Bradley Jr. probably be at the bottom of the lineup and so I it, it, you know I it, it, these are problems that uh that that managers have dealt with over time I know you'd love to have a balanced lineup uh, but you'd rather have a great right-handed hitter than a mediocre left-handed hitter. Uh, and, and I, you know, this lineup now has a ton of pop. And, and guys who don't have huge splits, you know what I mean? These aren't guys, right-handed hitters, who can't hit right-handed pitchers. Uh, these are guys who have uh, pretty good, pretty even splits, by and large. So I don't think it's a huge issue.
1: How much do you think Story will run? We know he's got 20 stolen base potential, but I always wonder when a guy gets the big money, does the team shut him down for fear of jammed fingers and stepped on wrists, et cetera?
3: Yeah, I don't think so. I think they like that part of it. And again, it's not about – speed it's not just about stolen bases, obviously. Speed's about decisions. Speed's about going first to third on a base hit, trying to score from second on a base hit. Uh, and that's really – you know, Alex Gore was quick to bring that up today when we talked to him about speed. Now remember, next year you'll get the bigger bases. Uh, and and so the uh, you know it's uh, the it, it, stolen bases might be back into play a little bit more. Uh, so, so I and you know I don't know. I they had 40 stolen bases as a team I think last year. He had or or yeah they had 40 and, and you know he had what half that. Yeah, he had So I mean whatever he brings, winds up being a huge huge advantage and it, just having that threat on the base paths makes
1: this a better team tom karen red sox and bruins insider and nesson with us here on the brady Farkas show on wdev am and fm and wdevradio.com com. yesterday at about uh, three o'clock i was really mad at the red sox and ready to rip into them over the devers arbitration trial that was coming and then all of a sudden two hours later they had reached an agreement on an 11.2 million dollar deal to settle how big a deal is to not take him to court like they took mookie to court
3: well, it helped. You know, I mean, was it part of the reason Mookie left or, or ultimately, you know, didn't appear that he was going to sign here and they traded him? Maybe. You know, arbitrations. and I, I bring up this story every year when Mike Milbury was GM of the Islanders and made Tommy Sallow cry during their arbitration. You know, I mean, it's an adversarial setup no matter how you look at it. Now, I don't think Ryan Bloom is going to go in the arbitration and make Rabiel Devers cry. Okay, but I, I, I do think it's never good to have the team. Uh, in, in in an arbitration setting saying how, well, you know, we don't think you're as good as you think you are, and yeah. here's why. And here's who we think you're comparable to, and you probably don't think these are great players, but we're saying you're just like them. None of that's good for the long-term relationship, and, I you know, more than ever now, with Trevor's story here, listen, I love Xander Bogarts. I really do. I think he's the guy you build around. I think he's a foundational guy, a cornerstone piece. Even Even with the limitations of his range, I think he gets to the balls uh, or he plays the balls that he gets to well and Story next to him will have more range and make it better. So I would lock up Xander Bogart. I just don't know if that's feasible now and Story gives you the shortstop of the future of the next few years, uh, at least until Marcelo Meyer is of, of the future. But but my point being that Devers is probably the guy you really need to look at locking up now, and, and so this helps that process.
1: Well, I'll get you out of here on a Bruins question. Trade deadline was uh, this uh, the uh, Monday. They get Hampus Lindholm, the big defenseman. They sign him to an eight-year deal. Let me ask you, though, about Jake DeBrusque's comments the other day. DeBrusque says that uh, this this stretch was really hard on him. I'm like, buddy, you asked for the trade. You invited all of this stuff. Do you see it the same way I do?
3: Yeah, I do. And, and you know, I, I listen, once you ask for a trade, once you go public with your unhappiness, with your situation, it's all self inflicted, man. I mean, anything, anything you get at that point on, you, you brought on yourself. And, and so, and yeah, I'm sure it was tough on him because the reaction is something that a player doesn't want to have to deal with. But, but again, it's tough on you because you made it tough on yourself. So don't cry about it. Don't whine about it. Uh, by and large, he has it on the ice. You know what I mean? We've you know, he's had some of his best, uh, best games here, uh, since all of that. I thought it was interesting. I really thought when they they extended him and locked him up, it was to make a trade. I was surprised it didn't happen. But you know, he's got a chance now to be an important part of a team that's going to go to the playoffs. We'll see what
1: he does. Yeah, we will see what he does. But uh, Jake DeBrusk certainly now has the clarity that uh, he says he lacked for the last couple of uh, couple of weeks now. I said, I think it was three months it's been. So Tom Karen, Red Sox and Bruins insider at NESN. TC, I know your time is limited, so I will just let you go. We will talk. Next week, so TC was yeah he just came off the field a little while ago from that Red Sox spring training game. You know running around the locker room, running around the complex, still made time for us. Appreciate that, but uh, yeah, certainly don't want to keep TC uh, you know too too long on a day when he's working down there in Fort Myers. So it's cool to see him as I watched some of that game. You know he's doing the sideline reporting stuff. I saw him talking with Xander Bogarts. Look for it. I didn't hear that portion. Of, uh, of the uh, of the game, of the broadcast. We'll look forward to maybe seeing it uh, on social media later, seeing what Bogarts had to say. I'm sure TC asked him about stories. So if we had more time, I would have asked him about it. But, you know, we'll talk to TC again in seven days. As for the DeBrus comments, I'm glad that he agrees with me, of course. And, like, I, you know, a lot of what I said yesterday, Bruins are going to be back in action tomorrow in an important game against the Tampa Bay Lightning. I think there's so much that TC said, even in what you know, whatever he had, eight minutes today. There's so much that TC said that's valuable. How important is it that Xander Bogart's helped recruit Trevor Story? And does it mean anything for the future? I think I think that's a really important question. We're going to have Buster on tomorrow, too, so we can ask him also. I mean, I, I don't know. i got to think about this probably overnight. Did Bogart say, look, I'm worried about this year only right now. I'll worry about next year, next year. Is Bogart saying, look, let's just take this thing right now, this year at a time, and Trevor's story makes us better now, and then we'll deal with it moving forward. Maybe that's how he looked at it. Maybe uh, Bogarts looks at it like, hey, I'm going to be out next year. I'm going to be out so I can care less that this guy is going to threaten my position. Just don't threaten it now, and he can have it next year, and we'll do everything we can to win this year. Maybe Bogarts looks at it that way. Does he look at it selflessly and say, I'm just going to deal with this year now and Story makes us better for this year. Does he look at it with indifference like, hey, it's not going not gonna to be a problem in the future because I'm not going to be here. I don't know. I tend to think it's more selflessly that Xander Bogarts wants to win this year and Trevor Story helps the Red Sox do that. That's what I believe. So we'll see. I don't know exactly what his motivation is here, but we'll talk to Buster tomorrow to we'll see Maybe if we can come to a consensus on where exactly Xander Bogart's is at right now. Phil in Berlin says, make sure that the bosses send you down to Fort Myers next year. That would be fun, wouldn't it? Like a week of the Brady Farkas show live on site in Fort Myers? That would be incredible. I I would love I have, you know, I've done the Super Bowl four times. I've never done spring training. You know, it's one of the few things in radio I haven't done. I've done america east tournament games i've done the conference final i've done i've done all super bowl i've done all that i've never done spring training and i do think that would be incredibly cool so we'll uh we'll see you send an email to uh you know news at radiovermont.com and we'll see if ken and corm maybe can get a can get a hold of it we'll see what happens so thanks to tom Karen, red sox and bruins insider at nesson freddie coleman is going to be with us about six thirty five six forty today You know, sometimes we play one and not the other. Sometimes we just do one on the podcast channel. Freddie, I wanted him on live today to to talk, you know, Tyreek Hill going to the Dolphins to talk about the Celtics who are in action tonight against Utah. So CBS News update is next. And then what's next for UVM basketball? That's next on WDEV.
3: Your chance to be part of the show is on the text line at 802 585 3026.
0: Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com.
1: Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on this Wednesday on WDEV AM and FM, WDEV Radio. Com. Thanks to Red Sox and Bruins insider Inness Tom Karen for stopping by uh, a little while ago. The interview with TC already available on our podcast channel. That's on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It's free. You can download it every single day. Actually, if you subscribe to it, we get it sent to you for free every day. And you can also uh, check out our interview later in the day with Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio. Freddie will be with us at about 6, 40 or so, so appreciate Freddie joining us a little later than usual today, but we did want to get him on live. So much to talk about with the Tyree Kill stuff. We'll get into the Patriots with Freddie, and we'll have more. This is what we talked about with TC. We'll recap a lot of that stuff tomorrow, all the stuff on Trevor's story. So plenty to get to on the Brady Farkas show here. So I'm appreciative we have these 90-minute shows right now. we got this stretch before the Red Sox season, but there is so much to get to. I feel like we could do two and a half, three hours every single day with all the stuff that we have. Now, I do want to go back to the interview we did yesterday. The interview we did yesterday with Alex Abrami of the Burlington Free Press, kind of putting a bow on the situation with UVM men's basketball and what happened in their season and what's coming next for the program. So a lot of stuff that I want to get to out of Catamount Country. So we talked about it with Alex Abrami of the Free Press. I asked him about kind of, Who's coming back for this program next year? Because there's a lot of guys that could come back, but have a, you know, with the COVID year, some guys are not going to come back. So here's Alex on who he thinks is coming back.
2: Finn Sullivan, Cam Gibson are back. Ryan Davis, you know, they honored him on Senior Night with Ben Shungu and Justin Mazula and Isaiah Powell. Uh, but he still has one more year of eligibility, like Isaiah does. Where does he go from there? Uh, where does he go from here? I don't I don't know. I think that decision still has to be made. Yeah, if
1: they honored him on senior night, he's not coming back. That that's my gut, is that Ryan Davis is gone. So look, I don't know if he's gonna go pro. I don't know if he's just gonna graduate. I don't know if he's gonna go do what Steph Smith did and be to be a grad transfer, but my assumption is that Ryan Davis is going to be gone. So you're gonna you're gonna lose a lot from this year's UVM team heading into next year. There was some good news from Alex, though, in there also. He thinks that Finn Sullivan's coming back. He thinks Cam Gibson is coming back, and he didn't mention Robin Duncan being mentioned uh, being uh, honored on Senior Night. So I gotta assume he's coming back. That's all good news. That's all good news. There is a lot of bad news in the guys you're leaving, but the guys you're bringing back, it does give you something to be optimistic about. Okay, in Sullivan, you bring back a starter. A guy who can score double figures per game. at a couple games of 20 or more this year. Had double figures in the NCAA tournament. Uh, No, he didn't, rather. he was my prediction to have double figures in the NCAA tournament. But he had double figures in the America East title game. He shoots it well from the outside. He's an emotional leader on the team, we've been told. So, bringing back Finn Sullivan, that's an important piece for the Catamounts to get moving forward. That is good news. In Aaron Gibson, or in Cam Gibson, rather. I'm thinking of Aaron Deloney, who I'll get to in a second. But in Cam Gibson... You see a guy who got more confidence as the year went on last year. He also has the ability to shoot the three, and he can fill up the stat sheet pretty quickly when he's hot. So I like to have a guy like that on my team. A veteran, a player with experience, a decent offensive profile, but especially can get hot from the outside. Makes me happy to have him back. And Robin Duncan, it would be huge if he were to come back. And again, it sounds like, at this point, he's leaning towards coming back. That would be absolutely huge. And I was down on Robin Duncan at the beginning of the year. He's not a great scorer. And maybe on this team, there were games where he didn't have a huge role. But next year, with the guys who would be missing, there would be a huge role there for Robin Duncan to play. And I hope he comes back in order to do it. He's a point guard. He's capable of running the offense. He was better overall offensively this year. Not a great shooter. But he certainly can use his size and strength to get to the bucket and can finish around the rim. So if he and he's a long and lengthy defender, he's a good rebounder. He helps on the defensive side of the ball. I like Robin Duncan way more at the end of the year than I thought I was going to at the beginning of the year. I th- I think he actually would play a huge role next season. He still won't score 15 a night, but if he can add six or seven a night, do the little things well, be a leader as he is as an upperclassman. Absolutely going to be huge for this team next year. So if Duncan, Sullivan, Gibson are all back, in addition to the aforementioned Aaron Deloney, you'd have a pretty good nucleus there. You'd still be missing a lot, an awful lot. Your two best players, Davis and Shungu, they'd be gone, the two most productive players in the league. I mean, that's damn near impossible for most low-major teams to to replicate or to replace. They have enough talent coming back to still be good. There's a lot to overcome there, and when you throw in everything else that they'd be losing besides just Davis and Shungu, it is going to be a real challenge. And Dustin in Northfield on the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line kind of segs into that. He says, who all is UVM definitely losing next year? Well, Ben Shungu's definitely done. His uh, His eligibility is up. Bailey Patella is definitely done. His eligibility is up. Eric Beckett has transferred. That's three that are definitely gone. Justin Mazzula told us that he's done, so that's four. Isaiah Powell told us that he's done, that's five. I think Davis is done at UVM, whether he plays college basketball or not. That would be six. Like, that's six players you'd have to replace. So, again, Duncan, Sullivan, Gibson, Deloney coming back, that would be a huge start, but there is a lot on that team that uh, that you would certainly miss. And that kind of leads us into our next point. From Alex Abrami, again, who was with us yesterday, Alex Abrami, the award-winning Burlington Free Press sports writer, is what he said about kind of how good UVM might be next year.
2: I think what they have coming back, um, and given the, the state of the conference, they should be the overwhelming favorite next year, and that's yeah. that's a good position for them. The, the, are they going to be in a spot where they were this year knocking on the door of, a, of an NCAA win? No, I don't think so. I don't think you can say that now, but...
1: Now, overwhelming favorite, Alex says they'll be in the conference next year. I am admittedly not up enough on what the other teams are doing and recruiting and who's leaving and how their rosters shape up right now. I, I'm not there right now in my knowledge of the rest of the conference, but I do, you know, I do know this: Stony Brook's leaving. They're always pretty good, so they're gone. So the league definitely is easier there. New Hampshire's losing all their best players to the transfer portal, so they're going to be in the tank, I would imagine. I think Albany's going to be a lot better next year. But I still think it's fair to say that UVM should be the favorite. I think they have enough talent to be the favorite. I don't think they're going to go 17-1 and one in the league next year. I don't know if they're 15-3 and three in the next year. And I think Alex is kind of saying that. I think they're the favorite. I think they're good. I think they'll be able to compete for a regular season title and another NCAA berth. But I don't think we'll be as excited next year about the program as we are this year. I mean, this year, 17-1, 13 seed, chance to win. Next year, it feels like UVM is back in that, you know, maybe they're 13-5 and in the league. Maybe they're 12-6, and and they get a 2 seed. They got to go on the road, and maybe they can battle it out there, and if they get in, they're a 15 or a 16 seed. I I just – I don't – I don't see a team that can win 27 games next year. A team that could win 20, most of which come in the league? I could see that. That's for sure. Um, But I don't think they're in a spot where we can just expect them to dominate – like they did this past year. I mean, they are just they're just losing too much. And I've seen this before at mid and low majors. When you have a special group, that's incredible. But when that group breaks up, it's hard to refuel the tank right away. UVM has been fortunate to not have huge gaps in their program in the John Becker years. They have been habitually good, so they have done this before. But they are losing so much at one time. This is atypical. Usually, you lose one or two key pieces. I mean, we're talking about we're talking about four starters next year. That is atypical, and that is tough to kind of overcome. And it's it's part of the reason why basketball-wise, I I wondered last week if this is the last dance for John Becker. Like he knows how hard it is to load back up. Maybe it's not something that he wants to do. I know the allegations against the program may make it so that Becker can't leave even if he wants to. But from a basketball standpoint, I I don't know that he wants to go through this. It's not a total rebuild. They're they're not total garbage. But, look, I mean, look, Ryan Odom left UMBC, right? Cupboard started getting bare. He left. I saw it at, at, at UAlbany Women's Basketball. Six straight America East titles. A couple of thousand-point scores. One was like a 2,500-point score. They graduate. Coach leaves. When you have a special group at low and mid-majors, it's hard to replicate, and it's hard to replicate quickly. And I, I just don't know if Becker wants to go through that. Again, he may be deemed radioactive to other places. I don't know enough about how he's perceived nationally. But if he's not deemed radioactive, I could absolutely see him leaving and not you know not wanting to stick around and kind of recollect the pieces and reshuffle the deck. I could absolutely see that. I don't know that it'll happen, but I could absolutely see it. Uh all right, couple more texts. Napa Morrisville Napa Waterbury text line 802-585-3026. This one comes from Dale in South Burlington. Brady, what do you want to see guys work on this off season at UVM? I guess the current players, obviously. Um, I mean, I think there's a few things for the returners that are going to be key over the course of the, the next eight months until we see UVM again. One, I think the most important thing is I'd really like to see Aaron Deloney truly become a point guard. Right now, he's a scorer, and he's a good one. And he could get away with it this year. Because Ben Shungu was so ball dominant. Ben was going to have the ball in his hands so Deloney could kind of float around the perimeter, get the ball, and shoot. If Deloney is truly going to elevate this team and truly going to elevate as a guard, he's got to be able to be a point guard too. I don't want to take away his scoring ability, but I want to see him run the offense, put guys in good positions, be a leader on the floor, and play 25 minutes a night doing that. Robin Duncan can do that. And when he's doing it, Deloney can do what he likes, which is stand on the outside and shoot in the corner. But when Duncan isn't in, or if Duncan's not here, then Deloney needs to be able to man the offense, helm the offense, and carry the offense from the point guard position. So that's number one. Number two, I want to continue to see Finn Sullivan develop his ability to go to the basket. Finn Sullivan's a very good athlete. He is not just a standstill shooter. This year, I think he had to be largely a shooter. Davis is there. You don't want to clog up the lane. Benny's got the ball. You kind of want to stay out of his way. So this year, I think Finn Sullivan fit that shooter role. But moving forward, I'd like to see him continue to develop his ability to go to the basket or at least show the ability more if he's already got it. Good vertical. He can get up in the lane. Pretty good with his left hand as well. Threw down some very good dunks this year. So, like, he, he has it in him. I'd like to see him continue to develop that overall versatility moving forward. There have been guys in this program who I think are, you know, largely perimeter players. Uh, Ernie Duncan, I thought, was largely a perimeter player. I don't think Finn Sullivan has to be that way. I think Finn Sullivan can be a guy who can get the ball, put it on the floor, Go to the basket, absorb contact. He's big, he's pretty strong, and he's got the ability to finish around the rim. So I I, I like Finn Sullivan's game. And while he went cold at times this year, I do think he's got a real possibility to to be a guy who can succeed while also getting down low. All right, let's get to the last one here. Um, from Alex Abrami, talking about the state of the UVM arena. Are we getting this thing or not? I have heard so many different stories and backwoods channels about this. Where are we at, Alex?
2: I think we're in a waiting period. I I haven't – I did a story a year ago about this, and I think they're um, – like they're still doing work at, at Gutterson and um, the Student Center. So I, I think there's – it's tough to say, but I think it's still – in the works i don't think it's not dead um the the fundraising is is still there um from um from tarrant um you know that's not from what i understand that's still gonna happen the 30 million dollars it's just a question of when yeah
1: that that's not the news that i wanted to hear the arena is on but it's delayed it's stalled i mean Look, people on social media are becoming skeptical if this is ever going to happen. I've gotten private messages from people saying, you know, that this is up or that's up or this is delay or this. I mean, I don't know what's credible and what's not, but the bottom line is there's snags and there's delays, and that's that's not good. This new arena for UVM was supposed to be open next year. You can't help COVID. I get that. I get delays and things because of COVID, but if you want to bring this program forward. You need to make the commitment, make the investment, and then follow through. When John Becker expressed frustration two weeks ago, I thought he was digging at the fans. I believe he was digging at the administration. Do you remember what he said on March? Oh, what is this, guys? March tenth. I know people around here, uh, you know, take it for granted. You know, this is really the hard thing to do. Yeah, I think he's talking about the administration, the people in the administration, in the athletic department, in the university community. They're the one who takes it for granted. and I think this arena is one of the great sources of John Becker's frustration. like before the arena was getting built, we knew that Becker wanted the arena built. It was a frustration to him that it was that that there was no arena in the plan. Now that it's being built, he's excited about it and now we've got a snag like I think he looks at it like ah the administration thinks we can put this on the back burner. they're good enough and I think Becker wants, A bigger commitment, a bigger investment. And this has to be part of what he's talking about. I had somebody tell me privately that, you know, Becker wants, you know, more of a commitment from the administration. I mean, this has to be what he's talking about, right? What that person is telling me. This just has to be it. The program deserves the commitment, the community needs it from a, you know, um, you want to get better standpoint and also you want a more comfortable place to go watch games. The players deserve it and the administration should still be behind it. So this is not something that I wanted to hear. I didn't want to hear that, you know, yeah, it's going to happen. It's a matter of, of when, not if like that's great, but there still sounds like too many, too many things up in the air there. I, uh, this needs to happen. The shovels have been in the ground Let's get this thing going and let's get it back on track. If the money is really still there, like Alex says it is, then I, I mean, the commitment has got to be there from the administration. So, it's the Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM, and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, let's see here. Um, I have so many things that I want to get to. I I want to we're bringing back the midweek news, news dump. We haven't done the midweek news dump in a little while, but uh here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break and then we're going to combine the midweek news dump with Who's Saying What. I don't have time to just get to Who's Saying What right now. I went so long with UVM. So we're going to combine the midweek news dump with UVM or with uh w- with Who's Saying What and we'll we're bringing a bunch of sound that I still have that I still want to get to. I do have time for maybe one more quick text. This one is from uh, Joe, who's all the way up in St. Albans, who says, Brady, I'm going to miss Benny. He's one of the all-time great catamounts. Do you think his number will ever, ever get retired? Wow. That That's a discussion for a different day. Do I think that Benny's number will be retired? Um, wow. His number 24 going up in the rafters. I would say it's possible. But I would say that it is down the list right now. Like, it's certainly not going to happen quickly. It took Sorrentine and Coppenrath 15 years to get their number retired. Benny being a local legend, that would help him. But I don't think we're there yet. I don't think we're at the point where we can think about it yet. But I do think Benny's going to have a place in this program's history uh, when everything is all said and done. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Okay, midweek news dump. Who's saying what? That's next on DEV.
3: Think you know sports better than Brady does? Text in with your thoughts at 802-585-3026.
0: Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. I, I could talk about UVM basketball all day. I went pretty long on that. So we haven't done the midweek news dump in a while. We've had so much to get to, but usually on Wednesday, we do the midweek news dump, where we got kind of a bunch of audio that we haven't gotten to yet that we want to get to in more short spurts. So today, the midweek news dump is kind of being paired with who's saying what. So let's get to who's saying what slash the midweek news dump
0: whoa 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 what did he say mac jones good lord
1: mel kiper's got to slow down on this mac jones ain't gonna work folks it's not gonna work he's got to come to terms with it it's not gonna work they really said that every damn thing
3: is politics and race and i'm losing my mind over it
0: it's time for who's saying what on the brady farkas show on WDEBAM, fm and WDEBRadio.com.
1: Who's saying what? Brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash. That's Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes beginning at just $20 a month. For a free car wash, the listener just needs to text the word Vermont to 30 and then 400. So $20 a month, unlimited car washes, one free one, text the word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400. So look, at this point, I just kind of throw my hands up and shrug my shoulders and say, well, it's Murphy's Law. What can go wrong will go wrong. And it continues to go wrong in the mind of the New England Patriots. You you saw this deal by now. I presume it happened a couple hours ago. The Kansas City Chiefs traded superstar wide receiver Tyreek Hill to the Miami Dolphins of all places in the Patriots division for five draft picks. First off, another NFL stunner, and we're going to do more on this tomorrow, or we're going to ask Freddie Coleman about this here when he joins us in the final segment. I... Again, I just throw my hands up. I have an NFL reaction itself and that is wow, what a stunner. And I have a Patriots specific reaction. And as for the Patriots, I'm just again, I'm throwing up my hands. It's all you can do right now. The Pats off season just largely gets worse. Murphy's law what can go wrong will go wrong. Let's get to the audio cut. Here's Robert Griffin III, Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, ESPN analyst. Now, here's him talking about Hill to the Dolphins. Let's get the sound bite in here to, to justify the segment.
3: I like the scheme with what Mike McDaniel uh, will be able to do uh, with Tyreek Hill. He'll allow any quarterback to push the ball down the field because he's just simply faster than everybody, whether it's on a football field, on the track, or at his home. Also, with the Dolphins, for the bag, he's going to a state with no State income tax, so he really got
1: he checked the boxes there. <laughs> yeah, Hill gets a big extension to go to Miami. I guess the way that this kind of went down is that Devontae Adams forces his way out of Green Bay and gets to the Raiders and gets a massive extension. So Hill says, Hey, hey, hey I want a massive extension. I he couldn't get it with the Chiefs, whatever. So then he says, You know what? I want to leave. So he leaves and he gets, ends up getting to Miami, and yeah, no state income come tax. So Tyreek Hill's doing good in the wallet as a result of this move. But from a Patriots perspective, it, that and that's where my gut goes first, right? For the league, it's a huge deal. It's good offseason fodder. It might change the balance of power a bit, and it, it changes how good the Chiefs are. That's all great. That's all fine. They're all true talking points. I'm worried about the Patriots. And the Dolphins are a team that I initially thought the Patriots could have swept this season. Those games against the Dolphins are two critical and crucial wins the Patriots needed, and now you don't even have that. Those two wins are not guaranteed, and in fact, I'd say that both are extremely hard to get. So we did it the other day. We're trying to figure out where the Patriots are going to win games. We're trying to figure out where exactly they might be able to make up some ground here or there. In the division was part of it, and you don't have that now. You're better than the Jets, You are now no longer better than the Dolphins. Simply put, you are now no longer better than the Dolphins. I know that Tua is whatever to a lot of people, but the Dolphins offense is now surround that now surrounds Tua. Tyree killed Jalen Waddell, among the most dynamic and fast and quick receiver duos, I'm sure, in NFL history. Devontae Parker, Cedric Wilson, tight end Mike Kosicki, a couple of running backs. They just signed tackle Teron Armstead yesterday to help the, the what has been a bad offensive line. The Dolphins may not be ready to win the Super Bowl with Tua, but they are certainly more menacing and threatening than you on paper. And that's just another team that fits that exact same bill. So, look, if the pa- the Patriots cannot afford to have wins taken off their schedule, and if they get one or two less wins as a result of the Dolphins getting better, then the Patriots are screwed. We, I mean, we did this earlier this week, right? We've done this before. How many teams are the Patriots better than? Well, we think that they're better than the Jets. They're better than the Jags. They're better than the Texans. They're better than Pittsburgh. They're better than those four. The teams that they were battling with, Miami, Cleveland, Indy, now all make moves, all of them better. The Patriots are right now, you know, the 11th best team in the AFC. Maybe some carnage happens around them. Maybe they can capitalize on something. Maybe someone gets injured somewhere. And maybe the Pats get lucky. But right now, it feels like a what can go wrong, will go wrong situation for the Pats. As for the league as a whole, the big winners in this deal are the Dolphins. The big winner is the league itself that we're still talking about football. On a day, I want to be talking about Trevor Story and the Red Sox. Anyways, the big winners are the Dolphins, the league, and then the AFC West teams. The Chiefs just got worse. They still have Patrick Mahomes, so I'm not writing them off either. But they just got worse, and those other teams in their division all got better. So the winners, Dolphins, the NFL, the AFC West, losers, the Chiefs, and maybe the Patriots. Because now the Dolphins are that team that just might be able to sneak around how good everybody else in the AFC is, and they just might be able to wiggle themselves into a seven seed or something like that. The the Patriots just might be the second biggest loser in this entire deal. And, you know, the NFC continues to be a loser, too, because they have just been absolutely, you know, look, I know he's not, I know Hill's not leaving the NFC, but. The NFC is not only losing everybody, they're not getting anybody, it really seems like, except for Aaron Rodgers coming back and Tom Brady coming back. And those are big gets, but by and large, the NFC has been left in the dust here as well. All right, it is the Brady Farkas Show. It's who's saying what slash the uh, midweek news dump here on WDEV. Uh, All right, let's get to this. I've been so down on the Patriots, I got to give you one piece of good news. I said largely... I throw my hands up, and largely the news has been bad. There is one good piece of Patriots news lately, and that's that the team brought back Trent Brown on their offensive line. Here's Mike Giardi, the NFL Network, on that.
3: Well, they had real interest in Lyle Collins, but obviously that was before he got released. Then there was some conversation after the fact, but I think the salary demands were a little too high for Collins. So they retained one of their own in Trent Brown. And quite frankly, Trent never wanted to leave. He took the visit to Seattle. He stayed overnight. Nothing got done there. He wanted to come back to New England. He said it over and over again, how he just fits here. He likes the culture. He loves playing for Belichick.
1: Yeah, largely an offseason that's gotten bad and gone poorly for the Patriots, but there's your positive. It's a good move to bring Trenton Brown back. Good for Mac Jones, good for his development, great for continuity, and great in general. Offensive line is a premium position, and the Patriots now have one very good one back in the fold. Trent Brown has health concerns, but by and large, he's very, very good when he's healthy. And the Patriots got him at what is a great deal. Two years, $4 million guaranteed, most of the contract is tied to incentives. Like, it's a great deal where the Patriots only have to pay him if he's healthy and performing. Like, I I question Brown in this deal. Like, I would think he could get more, and he's got to sing for his supper. I wouldn't love that if I were him. But, you know, the Patriots got a great deal. And on Brown's side of things, like, Doesn't this go along exactly with what we were talking about yesterday? I mean, this is exactly the situation we were talking about yesterday. What motivates a player? What motivates a player? For some, it's money. Tyreek Hill was motivated by money. He goes and gets a record-setting contract he wants out of Kansas City. He leaves a Super Bowl roster to go to a team that's not as good, to a quarterback that's not as good. Why? He wants the money. He's already got a title. So that's not motivating him apparently anymore. He wants money. So that's fine. That's what's motivating him. For some players, playing time and opportunity is what motivates you. And for some, it's comfort. And Mike Giardi points out there that Trent Brown felt comfortable in New England. I mean that has to be the reason because money's not the motivating factor. The ring is not the motivating factor because Trent Brown already has one, too, and the Patriots, they're not in a position to get a ring, so that's not it. What's motivating Trent Brown here clearly is comfort, and I think it's interesting to note, in this case, Trent Brown's comfort has to really lie with Bill Belichick, does it not? So for all the hand-wringing we do over Belichick, and we'll ask Freddie some more about Bill Belichick, too, and how much we should be trusting him now. For all the hand-wringing we do on Belichick, we have to give him credit here. Because Josh McDaniels has left, so it's not like Trent Brown came back because he likes working with him. Dante Skarnecchi is gone, so it's not like Trent Brown came back because he liked working with him. It's not just the quarterback because Trent Brown has worked with multiple quarterbacks in New England. The one constant has been Bill Belichick and has been Robert Kraft. And this one I would attribute more to Belichick again so Belichick is not perfect he has not been perfect he's had a dreadful offseason from a player perspective getting Trent Brown back is a positive development in this offseason and from you know this is a nice feather in the cap of Belichick too and that Trent Brown clearly felt comfortable with him all right uh, I think we got time for one or two more here let's get to Aaron Hicks Yankees outfielder do you hear this one Aaron Hicks was on the uh R2C2 podcast with Ryan Rucco and CC Sabathia, former Yankees pitcher, and he was talking about the Yankees' mindset for this year.
4: I mean, I think our phrase for this year is you know, um, have some you, you mm. know, because I mean, obviously that's something, you know, that, that, we're, that we're missing, and you know, I I mean, I'm I'm, I'm definitely ready to, to do that.
1: <laughs> yeah, a little bit of FU, that's our attitude for this year, according to Aaron Hicks. Look, This doesn't do a whole lot for me. Aaron Hicks saying that, Aaron Hicks being pumped up, that doesn't do a whole lot for me. I fear the Yankees as a Red Sox fan because they're the Yankees. I fear the Yankees because they have good players. They have deep pockets. And again, just because they're the Yankees. I do fear the Yankees, but it has nothing to do with the attitude and the tough talk that Aaron Hicks presents there. Every team in baseball has a little F.U., them in spring training. It's the height of optimism. It's the height of energy. Every organization has it, even the ones that think they're going to be bad. Hicks himself is hyped up because he missed most of last year, so he's ready to come back. I get where he's coming from. It's good that the team is raring to go and they're excited for the season, but these comments don't make me fear the Yankees as a Red Sox fan any more than I would have before. It's a six-month marathon season. That kind of attitude is It burns off at some point for teams, and then you're just kind of left with who's the best players and who's the healthiest. If the Yankees can remain healthy, Cole, Severino, Chapman, the bullpen, Donaldson, Judge, Stanton, then they will be a force. If not, they're not as good as the Blue Jays or the Rays. So, like, it's a nice rah-rah rallying cry from Hicks, but ultimately it does not mean a whole lot to me. It really doesn't. I mean, again, good for you that you're excited. I like that the players are happy the season is here and they're happy that the CBA got done. But it, it just it's a bunch of tough – at this point, it's just tough talk, and that's it. All right, I got one more that's not going to move the needle for people, but I got to just mention it. Did you see in women's tennis that world number one and 25-year-old player Ash Barty announced her retirement yesterday. She did so on Instagram, and Pam Shriver of ESPN was talking about this move and kind of, you know, how stunning it was or if it was stunning. So here's Pam Shriver talking about Ash Barty, the world number one retiring.
3: Yeah, on the one hand, it is shocking. She's 25. She just won the Australian Open. She's the reigning Wimbledon champion. She's earning millions of dollars each year. It is shocking. However, when you look at Ash Barty's pattern, Uh, The fact she stepped away from the game when she was one of the best young players in the world in 2016 took a year and a half off to be close to home. She played top-level state cricket to keep herself sort of uh, (laughs) as an athlete competing. and, um, And she also, during the first 10 months of COVID, she didn't leave Australia. She
1: didn't compete. So Ash Barty clearly likes to be home. She clearly, you know, is willing to change it up. So on one hand, I mean, it is... I guess, unsurprising. And I know what this doesn't move the needle for a lot of you women's tennis, especially not an American women's tennis player, but I do think it's worth mentioning. 25 years old, the current number one in the world, not injured. You usually just don't see this. Like, Andrew Luck retired. He was not the best quarterback in the league, and he was off injured. Like, that made a little more sense to me. Ash Barty, number one in the world, uninjured, reigning, you know, defending champion of two majors, You just don't see this. and I know the cynics are out there. Oh, it won't last. She's done this before. Maybe. I don't know. But that's not really important right now. We're not used to seeing people walk away in their prime and people walk away at the height of their powers, and that's what Ash Barty is right now. So, look, I like tennis. I had to mention it here. Maybe winning an Australian Open title and maybe being the first Aussie woman in something like 40 years to win the Australian Open, maybe that is just the pinnacle of her career and that's how she wanted to go out. I don't maybe she'll be back. I don't know. But to me it was jarring when I saw that. And like the French Open here starts in like a little over a month. So to see her pull out and retire, you know, at w- when she would have been the number 1 seed right before a major. Again, jarring to me. Maybe not no maybe not so much to Pam Shriver or somebody else, but to me It was. All right, that was who's saying what, by the way. The show is brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. That's Pro Driver Training, Vermont's premier truck driver training school. They're online at ProDriverCDL.com. Tyreek Hill is going to the Miami Dolphins. I continue to be worried about the New England Patriots. Two weeks ago, Freddie Coleman wouldn't let me be worried about the Patriots. Will he let me be worried today? Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio. That's next on the Ready Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and streaming at WDEVradio.com.
3: Want Brady to hear your opinion on the sports stories of the day? Text in at 802 585
0: 3026. One of the nicest guys in sports talk radio, and one of the smartest.
4: Mac Jones went out there and he looked apart. At command of the huddle, at command of his teammates. That is something everybody thought they would see. No one thought they would see it this early.
0: It's time for our weekly conversation with ESPN's Freddie Coleman on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com.
1: Welcome back in, Brady Farkas show right here on this Wednesday on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio joining us a little bit later today. TC joined us live from Fort Myers in hour number one. So Freddie, appreciate you being a little flexible today and appreciate you coming on as always. Freddie and Fitzsimmons tonight, 9 p.m. on ESPN Radio. Freddie, how are you?
4: I'm good, brother Brady. How's everything with
1: you? Uh, Things are not so good, and the reason why is because the rest of the AFC continues to leave the Patriots in the dust. Now, two weeks ago, you told me that I can't be worried about what other teams are doing, and I should just worry about the Patriots and getting that house in order. Well, Matt Ryan goes to the Colts, and he makes them better, and Tyreek Hill goes to the Dolphins in the division and makes them better. Are you giving me permission to be worried yet?
4: Oh, absolutely, because it's two weeks later, and it shows you exactly, Brady, how any landscape in sports can really change, and it doesn't really matter if it's the NFL or the NBA or Major League Baseball. And I said it before, and I'll say it again, but it's not just an NFL thing, it's a sports thing. Everything is second by second more than ever before, that if you believe that you are not where you're supposed to be, teams are going to be very willing to take a chance or take a risk, whether it's Deshaun Watson being traded for by the Cleveland Browns, the trade involving Tyree Kill for 5 draft picks involving the Chiefs and the Dolphins, Matt Ryan going to the Indianapolis Colts. Teams are no longer just going to sit and wait, and that's why I understand why now that word should be there when it comes to the Patriots, that as much as I, I trust in Bill Belichick that he'll find the right pieces, but so far, if he's going to do that, it's going to happen during the draft, and Bill Belichick has been a fan of not playing younger players, outside of playing Mac Jones after the quarterback position.
1: You know, Leonard Fournette met with the Patriots earlier this week and ultimately went back to Tampa, and, and I didn't think it made a whole lot of sense given how many running backs the Patriots ultimately have. But my question for you at this point is, like, do you think the Patriots are a destination now that, that players want to go to, or are players looking not I wouldn't say run away from Foxborough, but it's no longer as intriguing as it used to be, it seems like.
4: Yeah, it's true. You know why it's not intriguing? Because Tom Brady's no longer there. Yep. They have that connection, that kinship with him that allowed uh, Randy Moss wanted to be traded for by the Pacers and other players. And that's no disrespect to Bill Belichick, but he's not exactly Mr. Warman Fuzzy. And that's not saying that you have to be that way. You have to have some kind of connection with players besides the money aspect from that standpoint. And that's where Tom Brady to was able to come in because he was a guy that you wanted to play with, you wanted to rally around with him. And that no matter what was going on and not going on, Bill Belichick, at least Tom Brady has that buffer in between that. Not having that buffer right now, maybe Matt Jones can be that guy. I don't know. Right now, that pocket is empty regarding that standpoint and regarding that subject. But if you're the New England Patriots, more than ever before, you have to really worry about pitching and patching. And that used to work back in the old NFL when they first got this thing going. In the new NFL, if you're going to take chances on talent and out talent you, and no trust they'll be able to do that despite the coaching Bill Belichick. That would be a major, major concern right now in modern football in the NFL when it comes to the Patriots.
1: You know, locally the drumbeat of criticism is growing when it comes to Bill Belichick. And I'm not saying that everything that he does needs to be questioned. He certainly has still made great moves. But I am asking you, at what point does does Bill Belichick lose this cloak of invincibility where he can never be questioned?
4: Boy, Brady, that's a really great question because it's really hard to try to dismiss the past when you got to live in the moment, especially in the National Football League. And really, when you think about it, really professional sports. I don't know if we can use that co of Bill Belichick, mainly because everybody has either caught up in the situation of the Patriots or gone past them when it comes to teams like their whole AFC West, for example, where they're not just standing past and allowing Kansas City to do this, what Joe Burrow is able to do to Cincinnati Bengals. And you're number two, and other teams making these kind of moves. So, whatever cloak of invincibility, more than ever before, you got to go out there. You got to find talent. You got to develop talent. You got to put that talent on the football field. The days of finding these diamonds in the rough and hoping that they're able to elevate themselves over their draft grade or over their draft position, those days are long gone for the Patriots. And Bill Belichick, I'm hoping if you're a Patriots fan, that he's smart to realize that and say, "Yeah, we better go get talent, and we can develop that talent instead of trying to find a diamond in the rough." and making that a centerpiece of our football team no matter what position that is.
1: Freddie Coleman ESPN Radio, Freddie and Fitzsimmons, 9 p.m. And it's the Brady Farkas Show. Freddie always with us here on Wednesdays on WDEV. We're going to do a lot more, you know, tomorrow on the Patriots and Tyree Kill and all this stuff. So let's move over to the NBA. Uh, you know, we're coming up here. We're less than 10 games to play in the season. The Celtics are getting ready to play the Jazz here in a little while now. Should, I mean, the, the Celtics are closing in on second place in the Eastern Conference. Are they, I mean, are they title contenders at this point?
4: Oh, my God. I I would say that anybody that's in the top four of a league or the conference, not named the Chicago Bulls, you can look at them as a title contender. And yeah, it all depends about matchups, especially in the first round matches, because you can face a Brooklyn Nets team in the first round, and if Kyrie Irving is able to play and are no vaccine mandates the way we've seen in New York, that's a legitimate team that can win an NBA championship. There's absolutely no doubt about it, no matter what Ben Simmons is not going to do for the Brooklyn Nets in the regular season and in the postseason, but this Celtics team, and Brady, what did we talk about early in the season? We said this team has to have the ball run through Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and other guys have to fill those roles. That's exactly what has happened. We've seen that from Robert Williams. We've seen that from Marcus Smart. We've seen that from Al Horford. We've seen that from Peyton Pritchard. They bring in the, they bring in, um, the team that got from the San Antonio Spurs, and Young, he's been able to fit in. When you have two superstars or at least a superstar to a in this situation, and other guys understand their roles and have that kind of chemistry, it makes things a lot easier because now you know where the ball is going to go, who it has to go to, but then other guys, when they're able to step up, they absent and don't take away from the start getting their way. So they are a legitimate contender to get to the NBA Finals because even though the East is better, it's still a wide open Eastern Conference, and there aren't any teams in the Eastern Conference that should scare people enough to say that's who everybody's chasing.
1: You know, I know that you and I are the same on this one. Neither one of us really likes rankings, power rankings, et cetera. But let me so let me ask the question in a different way. When it comes to young players in the league, who's your favorite young player to watch? And Tatum's in that group. Morant's in that group. Luca's in that group. Trey Young. Like, which young player do you like to watch the best?
4: There are too many choices, but I'm going to say Ja Morant of Memphis because night after night, he does a lot of things that people don't see. People don't realize what kind of leader and what kind of gravitational force Ja Morant is on the Memphis Grizzlies. Especially, he doesn't make it about him. He can have an off-the-hook game, and he's always celebrating with his teammates. He's always trumping his teammates and what they're doing over how special a player and how special a season that he's really had. And Luka Doncic of the Dallas Mavericks, i, I pay any kind of money to see him. Same thing with Jason Tatum. When it comes to the Boston Celtics or Devin Booker or the Phoenix Suns, there's a lot of terrific young talent around the NBA. But Job Moran has that it. And you don't have to know what it is, but you know it when you see it when it comes to that Brady. And he's had that it factor ever since he got to the NBA. And I wonder how many Pelicans fans are having remorse that they decided to take Zion and Williamson, when we've on a bouncy basketball court huh. this year. Team, John Morant, has been able to be an MVP candidate on the court this year for the Memphis Grizzlies.
1: John Morant is great. His bracket is likely busted, though, because Murray State, his al- his uh, alma mater, got beat by St. Peter's. My bracket's been busted since day one. Vermont almost pulled off the upset against Arkansas, but ultimately lost uh, by four points. You got your Richmond upset right that you picked last week over Iowa. So, congrats to you. How's the rest of your bracket look?
4: Well, right now, I still got three out of the four teams I had going to the final four. I had Kentucky coming out of the final four and St. Peter took care of that, but I still have Arizona, and Zacher as well as Kansas getting to the final four. And I, I got to be honest, Arizona may have no business being in the 216 yeah. because that was a foul to half court line in the Ooh, regulation yeah. that they didn't fall that would have been in favor of TCU. But each and every year, Brady, we always talk about this is the greatest first weekend ever. At a certain point, we got to start having that conversation because that's what makes the NCAA tournament and that's what makes March Madness. Where you can have a, a, a Richmond, you can have a St. Peter. you can have those teams that make the tournament special, and then you get great games involving the bigger teams. Baylor, North Carolina, one of the best teams I think anybody's seen all year that was a second-round tournament game. So that's always been the beauty of the NCAA tournament, that for every Richmond, for every St. Peter, for every Miami out of the ACC as a bottom seed, that you're going to have these big moments involving big teams either surviving and advancing either against smaller conference teams or against bigger conference teams as well.
1: Well, Freddie, as I get you out of here, I'm always amazed by your breadth of knowledge, and I can throw anything at you, and you seem to have an answer for it. Uh, did I see that you were on Canadian radio yesterday doing detailed Toronto Blue Jays previews, or did I make that up?
4: You did not make that up because uh, my friend Kelly does a great job with that sports program that services Toronto and as well as Montreal. So I've been on Kelly McDonald's show more than a minute, but... <laughs> I just love sports, and I love everything, especially with baseball. I know baseball takes a hit, and they deserve it because they brought it on themselves. But that AL East is going to be oh. mad competitive. When well, you got Trevor Story now at the Boston Red Sox. Aaron Judge is going to get that long-term offense from the New York Yankees. We you know how good they're going to be. The Blue Jays getting a captain, not only as a stick in your lineup, and you're hoping that he's going to be better than the 200 strikeouts that he had last year, but he solidifies the hot corner at third base. And that team was one game away, right behind the Yankees and the Red Sox. That is going to be a fun competitive division, and I can't wait to see how it's going to play off. even though I may be the only one watching baseball in the New York State season.
1: Well, it is going to be a crazy division. We're your home for Red Sox baseball, so we'll have it all for you as well. It's going to be a fun ride to follow. We talked a lot about Trevor Story earlier today already. So, Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio, Freddie and Fitzsimmons, 9 p.m. tonight, just a couple hours from now. So, Freddie, we'll talk to you again next week and be well. Sounds good, great. You too, my friend. I can't wait to chop it up again. Yeah, me too. Freddie Coleman, one of the best. Freddie and Fitzsimmons coming up tonight at 9 p.m. Yeah, I love what he had to say about the Celtics. The Celtics, man, they are they are playing so well lately. And I know they just beat the Thunder and all that. Like that, the last game, you know, uh, what two not uh, last, no, two nights ago against the Thunder wasn't all that special. But tonight against Utah, that's a game I'm excited for because the Jazz are a good team too, perennial playoff team over the last couple of years. So we'll see exactly. I'm with. Freddie, uh, well Luca is my favorite young player to watch especially if we exclude Tatum for going non Celtics Luka Doncic's my favorite player to watch like I was up early in the Olympics this summer Watching Slovenia games just to see what Luka Doncic would do—he's got that kind of pull to me. And Ja is excellent, also. I'm not—you know—I don't watch a ton of Grizzlies games, so Luka I feel like is on TV a lot. I see him more. Maybe there's some bias there for me in that regard. But I love watching Luka. Love—I love what Freddie has to say about everything, but. You know he's right on the AL East. That's certainly going to be a battle we're going to be, you know, talking about obviously for the next six months, like seven months up until the end of October. And I'm I'm glad that Freddie is on my side now about the Patriots' worries because it it really is a concern. Again, we're going to do more of this tomorrow, right? We're going to talk more about the Patriots tomorrow and kind of where they stand and what's happened and what they should be doing and how good Miami is. We'll probably have a guest on to talk about all of it. So it's just it's not a good situation. It is not a good situation right now if you are a Patriots fan. I've been, I, I have been telling you this for, you know, you know the, the the last month. I just at this point, I just throw my hands up. Everybody else around you is getting better, and you're getting worse. And and that's where the Patriots are at. I'm not saying that the Patriots are awful. They're still well coached. Although there's good stuff in there with Freddie that we'll get to tomorrow about how much you can question Belichick now. They're still well coached. They have a lot of familiar names on the coaching staff. And we think that they have a, you know, a a good young quarterback, a good young quarterback, a good young quarterback. They haven't surrounded with weapons in the way that Miami has now surrounded Tua with weapons. So uh, there's lots to get to on the Patriots. We will do that tomorrow. We'll have more. uh, I want to recap tomorrow what TC had to say about the Red Sox and the Trevor Story stuff. So we, we are just flying through here on the Brady Farkas show. Thanks to everybody who got in on the text line. Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line is always open for you at 802-585-3026. Thanks to Freddie. Thanks to TC. Jazz with George Thomas. Coming up next, go download the podcast, everybody. It's free. Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'll see you tomorrow. It's WDEV.